0: Hello, and welcome to the Third Turn Podcast. If you are spending time with us, whether a longtime listener or new to our audience, it's because you have an interest in long-term executive leadership that orients toward future value, succession, significance, and legacy. I'm Kristen Evenson, an executive coach and consultant trained in the neuroscience of change, and my co-host is Mark L. Vincent, founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. Mark also facilitates our current Maestro Level Leader Cohort. Mark, uh, we often talk here and in the cohort about future value, and you and I have had some interesting conversations about that lately, and I know you've had similar conversations with others. Can you put some definition to that before we introduce our guest?
1: I'll be happy to do it, and I think it actually accomplishes two things at once, because Kenny Cox, who is our guest today, embodies this So let me try to give some explanation. It's a question I'm getting all the time. Well, you say future value, but what does that mean? You can't just mean money or you mean only money right? You know, like, is it going to be just counted by assets and income? And it's an opportunity to turn the question back to the person who asks it and, and to say, what does future value mean for you? Today, actually, when we're recording this with Kenny, which is the 8th of April, we've released a blog and the third turn blog that actually uses General Motors and its current initiative to be all electric by 2035 as an example of future 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 value. And in there, we're saying, well, future is a time that is not now. (laughs) It's a time Mm -hmm. to come, but at the same time, we're using the now with the future in mind. So that, that would be a very specific definition of what we mean by future. It's affecting now because I'm thinking about what is to come and I'm acting and planning with that in mind. And then value is pretty easily tied with a good mission statement. Most any companies that have really done a lot of work have a description of why they exist and to what end. That's their description of value. And when you say future value, you're saying more of what we say we exist to do. And that can be anything that includes money, but it is very likely to include human flourishing, world flourishing, creation, renewal in the future. And so GM right now is talking about this as less pollution and even less time snarled in traffic. That is their explicit, uh, description of future value they want to offer more of that to the world. now we'll see if they really you know go in that direction and if they actually report uh, with that in mind, hey look at what we're achieving but I hope they will and that's what we really are getting at with future value is what does this company and this person who leads it describe themselves as wanting to make happen and to make more of that happen in the future? And so today we're going to interview uh, and have a great conversation with Kenny Cox. He's the CEO of Cox Family Holdings, and there's a company at the center of that holdings a group of companies called Exacto. Kenny spent most of his career there. He really grew that company over time. That company now celebrates its 40th year. And that's an amazing math problem because Kenny's only like 23 years old or something like that. But uh, we want to offer our congratulations on any company, especially Exacto and coming into 40 years of existence. And Kenny, you've been a part of that most all this time and then moving up into a holdings company scenario and giving your more of your time now to ministry. But there's one other thing we have to celebrate. And that's that in the last two weeks, he and his wife, Kim, became grandparents for the first time. And we want to offer our celebration and joy with that. So, Kenny, welcome to this conversation.
2: Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And thank you for the congrats on my third turn in parenting leadership. So, really, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm enjoying this new role of grandparenting and being able to do that from a different place in my heart than I could when I was uh, a new dad at the age of my daughter.
0: Oh, that's awesome, Kenny. You've had a long career, especially with the company your father established, which I think was Exacto, Mark said, and which you bought from him. And then you started a company, Cox Family Holdings. Can you just give us the background of your journey through all of that leading up to today?
2: Well, that's a big question. So, so, let me start by saying that my journey into leading and owning a company is not something I would ever recommend to anybody that I provide mentorship to. I began my career in our agricultural family business with my dad, who really was void of skills and mentoring uh, himself, which would have been beneficial to me. And so, Yeah, as a foundational element of that, my my parents began their lives in a rural community in Missouri, fought their way out of that through military and then through college. And so I talked my way into the business in 1983 on the ground floor. Um, You know, my dad's uh, degree had been in botany and my mom in special education and all of a sudden, they found themselves back in the agricultural area, but through this agricultural chemical company on the input side versus the farming side, which their family had been in. And so, yeah, I I was in the work program in school. For some reason, my parents never encouraged my sister and I to take the pathway that they did to go to school. And so I entered into a work program in my junior year in, in high school, and I soon realized I didn't want to keep going back to school to stay updated on integrated circuitry from relay circuitry. And so I talked my dad to let me come in with him. And with a nice, healthy pay cut, uh, he allowed me to come in with him. And, and so we were off and running this small business that started in the garage in our house, soon moved to a small plant in a small town in Wisconsin. And so here I was this young man living inside the plant, sleeping inside the plant, producing products, fighting for sleep in a cot amongst the inventory. And so I really didn't have much of a foundation to fall back upon. And so over time, I just started looking at the business and ways to expand it, talked with suppliers, talked with customers, started touring Uh, different plants, and then started taking over all different aspects of the business, sales and every element of it. And realizing that the model that we were in was really not conducive to taking the company to the heights that I thought that it could go to. And so I changed the entire model around and we moved from a distribution of our own products to that of a private label company. That wound up receiving pushback, not only from my dad, but also others in the industry. When I look back on that step, though, that was the first time in which I had stepped out of what I had been functioning in as an intuitive leader, just really going with what felt right, to really collecting data, and then to use that to balance it with my intuitive style and make a decision to pull away from others. And, you know, some of our, some of our customers didn't follow us. And they actually said to me that they thought I was not, but that foundation then led to the company moving to tenfold larger than what we had been. And I look back on that time too. And I, and I, that that move really created the confidence that I needed to step away from the crowd and to do it with uh, courage. And so that created the foundation of that agricultural chemical company that not only moved into a tenfold scenario, the years later, it then quadrupled.
0: Wow. So you, it sounds like kind of found your own leadership voice and vision in this pivotal place with your dad. You mentioned too, that he didn't, he was kind of void of leadership qualities. Can you say more about that? Like how did that factor in for you, Kenny?
2: Yeah. So there's, there's a lot in which, you know, my, my father and I've unpacked a lot of this as I've done personal work, you know, and, and really becoming aware of some of the wounds that I took on and some of the wounds that he had. Yeah. My dad, he, he broke away from a way of life that would have been something that all the family members followed into. And so He tended to power up on life and it's my way or the highway. And, you know, there was a nice healthy pay cut that I took to actually come in with him through that hard knocks learning style of his. And so it really was difficult for me because I was not recognizing at the time that I needed mentorship, that I needed encouragement and affirmation. And so a lot of what happened inside of me is that I started to develop this persona uh, in my leadership, and it was a very independent uh, mode operandi. And so that really impacted the way in which I was living my life and the way that I was leading. And so one of the significant plateaus in business that occurred started to transition me from that independent leadership style into an interdependent leadership style, which was not the norm of my dad. My dad actually pushed back on me on that one too. But I was finding my leadership voice in that and I was stepping away from him. And I actually had to convince a lot of our customers to trust me and not him because of the things that he was doing that lacked integrity. And so that was a big foundational moment too, was to step away and form everything based upon key value systems of integrity. And so I joined my first peer advisory group to really help assist me in developing not only a new set of skills, but the foundation that I needed to then move the company to new levels, you know, to blow off the roof and to add another floor. And so that first advisory group helped me to step into a place of greater transparency and vulnerability. And that in turn shaped me into a manner in which I function today, where I surround myself with peers and mentors and coaches and and spiritual advisors of which uh, Mark Vincent has been one of those as well.
0: We will return to this conversation with Kenny Cox after this brief break.
1: A process consultant is not a contractor or mere subject matter expert. A process consultant knows how to design process, and they do it with the CEOs and boards they serve as they tackle adaptive moves and create an alignment among all of the organizational players who will make it happen. So if you want to know more about process consulting and might want to add it to your skill set, visit societyforprocessconsulting.com and sign up for a course. The Society for Process Consulting is the place that sets the standards for process consulting. Kenny, it's really good to have this conversation with you. And we want to go deeper into the season that you're in now. You're using this season in the third turn to devote yourself to some specific projects. So could you tell us what they are and why they matter to you? So I, I, I think it's important to just go back
2: and recognize, you know, some of the journey that I was on, you know, especially when I, when I was in my first peer advisory group, I was really struggling with recognizing what these business leaders were all doing. And, you know, there's, there was this, uh, I always looked at it as a triangle. There was only so much room at the top. And so I started asking questions about, you know, what is greater than this triangle that we're all fighting to get at the top of? And some of the individuals in that first peer advisory group, which didn't have a faith foundation that I was developing, I started recognizing that I was talking about feelings, that I was starting to talk about greater levels of purpose. And there were a couple of guys that encouraged me to go to the Center for Creative Leadership. And so I started to look into that and I went to the Leadership at the Peak program. I think the gentleman's name is Dr. David Campbell, who's written a lot of the leadership indexes. So I went to that program and that really broke me. I came back from that program and was in a place in which I was starting to view my entire life differently. I didn't recognize at the time that my marriage was coming to an end, and that wound up then shaping my personal and vocational life. And so I stepped away from business at that point as I knew it, and I started to look more deeply at who I was outside of this business persona. And that led to a number of different steps. Yeah, first was Mr. Mom, because that's what I stepped into. Uh, The best decision I ever made in my life was to be present to my children. And then I started to enter into a number of soul searching programs that would help me from a transformative level. One of those was Ruth Haley Barton's program, which was transforming community. So I wound up doing two two two-year spiritual formation processes. Another one was Cloud and Townsend's Ultimate Leadership Program. But it was interesting when I did the Cloud and Townsend Ultimate Leadership Program, I didn't engage certain experiential processes and I just simply don't think that I was ready for it. And so that finally led me to doing a weekend called the Crucible Project and when I did that experiential weekend, I saw myself more completely than I ever have been. And as a result, I started then studying the Jungian archetypes. And I started looking at things through the view of the archetypes and realized that by detaching myself from business, I was entering into a sage place that I had never seen before. And so I was able to detach and see, and as that old adage says, I was working on the business rather than in the business. And from that detached place, then I was able to orchestrate uh, more effectively. And that led me then to looking at, okay, how do I want to live my life? And so I did a, a Patterson life plan and started running different things in my life through that plan, through what they call the perspective life filter And the one thing that aligned with my story, with my values, with my leadership, more than anything else was the Crucible Project. And so I started focusing my life more building into others and living by what has ultimately become my personal mission, which is to incarnate and encourage meaning, healing, purpose, and legacy. And really Developing a mentorship into other men and sometimes into business leaders so that they can break away from some of the, you know, the family of origin and and other aspects of their lives that may have led to them living out of a shadow type of behavior.
0: Kenny, you did Transforming Center and we're part of a transforming community. I did that to your leadership program as well. And there's, I don't think anything like that to clean out the pipes. Of who we think we are and who we should be. So God bless you for that. But I am just so inspired and struck by the fact that you have really used the crucibles of your own life and leadership to now pivot and turn and support others in that process. Can you say more about that?
2: Yeah, I I feel like right now that I've, I've become what's classified as a gospel patron, John Reinhardt wrote a book called gospel patrons. And, um, and so it feels like all of the different elements and voids and, you know, skills and gifts and all of those different aspects have aligned now in me living my life focused on the legacy that I want to leave and thinking more eternally than I am in, in this you know, temporary space right now. And so, yeah, my, my heart has really become more focused on ministry and using business as a engine to really fuel patronage like that. Was that what you were looking for?
0: Yeah, that's great. And it makes me wonder, how did you kind of remove yourself from the day to day of the business in order to kind of give yourself to this third turn focus in a new way?
2: Yeah, so removing myself was one thing, and just letting others step into their own leadership and not have me, as they call it, you know, swoop in and do a, a seagull style of management and just <laughs> dump all over the place. So that was one thing, but more importantly, even than that, was surrounding myself with an advisory council that developed into a governing board, and having people who have my back, like a Mark Vincent who have expertise in different areas. And so in developing our present governing board, I stepped out of the the chair role and found someone who actually has more experience in in chairing. I'm not as strong in the financial side. So I really surround myself with people who have greater financial skills than what I do. And so by, by surrounding myself with those key individuals, it has really helped me. And going back to the whole Jungian archetypes, it's helped me to continue to stay in that detached sage place so that I can be aware and have perspective without being in it and the busyness that then can impact my ability to see things. And so Yeah, that's some of what I have employed and, you know, just continue to be more and more strategic in regards to how we put people in the seats, not because of who they are, but who they are and what their skill bases are. And so that, yeah, that falls back to how do we orchestrate? And, you know, if we want to put together a composition, then it's really going to require a lot more in the way that we view people and, and, uh, and spend more time on the front side selecting those individuals.
1: Kenny, you have to know how much I love hearing you use the word orchestrate as opposed to being the performer. We're talking about maestro yep. level leaders. And this again are people who aren't performing. They're helping other people perform. It's what they are crafting. It's their, it's their art to do that. And you've done this um with fits and starts and you've arrived at a place where you're seeing some of the fruit of that now and along the way because you and I have known each other for a while I've been able to witness some of the deepening as well as some of the broadening in your life and you've worked hard at developing your personal capacity to do so and I know you're working hard at it now could you point to a couple of key transformations that you needed to live through
2: yeah one was, you know, back in the 90s, where I, like I shared before, where I was recognizing that there was something missing. And so that was an important, as they call it in the Patterson life plan, when you go through the unpacking of your story, that was one of the significant life gates. You know, of course, there's many as a as a child, you know, living in a home in which I have a dad who is is powering up, he's selfish, he's narcissistic. I would call him actually antisocial, a sociopath. And so that was the foundation, uh, but that also created in me, and and I can see it more clearly now than ever, is that it created in me action. So I stepped into a warrior mode in which I then got busy. And so I wanted to prove people, wrong about me from some message that I had taken on. So going through that moment in business and recognizing that life gate was really important. Thereafter, you know, going through divorce was a really defining moment for me. And then I wound up leading a divorce recovery ministry for five years as a result of it, you know, doing my own healing while I'm uh, also then, you know, looking at at growth and then help others to create purpose out of that. And then we had a very significant traumatic experience that rocked my world. And out of nowhere, my dad attempted to murder my mom. And uh, and even went as far as to, because he wasn't caught red-handed in, in the act, went as far as to say that I had done it uh, to gain all of the business. And so through years of, of going through the legal system with that and he's presently in in prison for it and watching family separate that really was a a pivotal time for me to then see the patterns that that even though i knew they were there that i still was denying to a certain extent and i do believe that's our human nature uh, sometimes you know, as we get into systems, whether it be family systems or business systems, that we can turn off our alerters, the things that can help us then to recognize when something is is not quite right. And then, you know, make a mountain out of a molehill when our alerter goes off, at least inside of ourselves, and run it up the flagpole to, you know, its greatest possible uh, negative outcomes so that we can then discern what to do with it and how to respond to it. And so that was a really pivotal time in my life to go through and to then begin to understand how I hadn't set up really solid boundaries in my life around it. And so I'm a big boundary guy now as a result of, of all of those recognitions yeah i remember in divorce recovery taking a boundary assessment that said yeah you understand boundaries and i thought well this is great i understand boundaries and it says but you just don't know how to apply them in your life and i thought ouch and so yeah so i recognize that, that that those life gates have helped me not only in my personal life but also business so I'm a big boundary guy in business as well and you know, being clear about my boundaries, stating them without emotion, because I think bringing emotion into them, uh, whether it be scare or anger, can actually hurt others as you're setting boundaries. And so I'm more clear about the foundation of the boundaries that I set based on those life gates that I've been through.
0: Kenny, you have obviously navigated a lot of crucibles and crises in your leadership and life and put those to good use, it sounds like. And all the while, somehow you had time and attention to set Cox Family Holdings, the business on a trajectory that it sounds like is um, in a good positive place. I wanna ask a kind of a magic wand question with the the pathway that that's on. If you could, you know, 40 years from now, magic wand, Cox Family Holdings is enduring and contributing. What would be your vision of what that would be 40 years from now?
2: So, you know, my present thoughts, which I'm working on this daily actually, is to set up a structure. A lot of this is already uh, put into place, but it's getting refined more. Is to set up a structure and in which the businesses will go into a National Christian Foundation fund. There will be a board structure that will be in place that will continue to manage the business operations. There will be family members involved, and that structure is not completely complete yet because I, I, I don't want there to be unhealthy enmeshments. I'd like to see this structure live on as a funding vehicle for ministry in this world and live on in perpetuity. And I, my wife and I sat, we're in Nashville now, and sat by a fire two nights ago and talked about How we might do the same thing from a foundation side for our family so that there might be a healthy structure that promotes family and generations to come to be able to have a down payment on a house or schooling or the things that are important to us. And as Warren Buffett says, to give enough to do something with without so much that you could do nothing. And so those are all important aspects of what I want to create so that uh, it creates a foundation of that gospel patronage that I talked about earlier. Gospel patron to ministry, uh, using business as a giving engine to wind up helping this world and yet also supporting the generations to come. You know, I think from my own family of origin, I think a lot about uh, there's a very moving song from Sarah Groves called Generations, in which she says, I can pass on a curse or a blessing to those that I never know. And so I want to continue to break the chains of my own family of origin and provide that for my family, as well as for ministry in the future.
0: Well, Kenny, and I can only imagine now having a two-week-old grandchild just kind of <laughs> Puts a big, I don't know, emphasis on that as well. What's that kind of bringing to your sense of vision and heart for the future?
2: Well, yeah, a big part is that discussion two nights ago, you know, talking about that family legacy foundation and what that looks like. And and I'm blessed to be, you know, I, I shared that I was divorced, but blessed to be remarried to a woman with the same values, same faith foundation who joins with me in developing this vision. And so, um, and, and she, is, she is the part of me that is the peacemaker side. And she winds up helping me to connect more deeply with my heart. And so there is nothing that connects me more deeply with my heart than that little bitty grandson of mine Can't wait to hear what Grandpa and Amy comes up with for me. But yeah, connecting deeper with my heart right now is where my work lies. I did that sage work, a lot of that work, and though it continues to be my work, now it's how do I connect at deeper levels with my heart? Because the greatest of these is love, and that's what I want to be uh, the focus of the decades to come.
1: Kenny, this has been a grand conversation, and I think you are leaving listeners hungry for more. There's something about the way you are living and how you embody the journey that to use Jungian language as an archetype uh, that others can strive for. And I hope that as life continues, it will be more expressed, more visible, maybe written down in some way. I know you've been working on a book because it, it is a model that is real as opposed to just theory. So thank you for the life that you and Kim are living in front of us. When we wrap up our conversations, we like to ask our guests these three turning point questions. And I'm going to ask you the first two of them. If you would have had any other career than the one you talked your way into, (laughs) where might we find you?
2: Yeah, though I love business and the opportunities it creates, and like I shared, it's, it's turned into a great gift for gospel patronage. I believe that I would have been a counselor or a life coach, really living out to an even greater extent that that mission, you know, from the brokenness of my own life. I, I am living it out in a, as a pseudo counselor, and some of the, the work that I'm doing, but I, I think that's where I probably would have landed.
1: Mm. And I, I just have to say this because I have the privilege of knowing you that when you talk about warrior and sage, that really is two very descriptive words of you. And someone who doesn't know you well might think, wow, he's probably sitting there in an Argyle sweater and slippers, and he maybe has a meerschaum pipe, and he's just really great to talk to. Where we would actually find you is out hunting and mm-hmm. outfitting and uh, on long, weeks-long hunts, and uh, you've got some p- pretty spectacular trophies. So we're talking uh, both a toughness and a ruggedness and a gentleness that God has forged in You and it's something Mm -hmm. we all celebrate. I'm wondering then if there is an executive leadership lesson that you really wish you had learned earlier in life. Most definitely to be
2: interdependent and to surround yourself with a multitude of wise counsel, as the Bible says, you know, that complements you and your vision for your life and leadership. And then to be bold and to be vulnerable when it comes to doing personal development work on your soul. And yeah, that, that is a, that is the foundation of meaning that can be developed that leads to really clear, sustainable purpose so that a legacy can be lived out for what you desire in your life.
0: Amen. And well said, Kenny, is there a current book you're reading? And if so, what is it and why?
2: Yeah, so I've had a book open for a while now that I'm disappointed that I haven't finished, but I I am really enjoying it. And it's called Living With Our Genes. And it highlights aspects of our personalities that are both connected to our genetic makeup, some of which is related to trauma carried through family systems, And then, you know, it can show uh, it shows the behavioral ties to novelty seeking individuals and those who are harm avoiders. And what I have found is, is that there is a significant genetic tie to the Jungian archetypes and the application of how people respond based upon genes and then also nurturing as well. And so, yeah, unpacking that has really started to shape my views in a different way.
0: You've given us a lot to think about, and we obviously will put a lot of links in the episode summary for people who want to go in a little bit deeper on some of these things. Our guest today has been Kenny Cox, CEO of Cox Family Holdings. And Kenny, we just really thank you for sharing your own journey of a transforming leader who's committed to living out a transformational impact in the world. It's really been a gift to have you here with us. As we close, Jennifer Miller of Strategically Connected is our producer for these episodes and Design Group International is the sponsor. And we thank them both.
1: Two weeks from now, Kristen will lead our interview with Don Yoder-Graber. as She talks about leading as a woman through the three turns of executive leadership. And if participating in a Maestro Level Leader cohort is of interest to you, now's the time to get ready. Kristen is going to be facilitating the next one that we are gearing up to launch in October of this year. And I look forward to joining with her as others join this effort and learn from her. So you can just navigate to maestrolevelleaders.com, fill out the simple form there, and you will get a conversation underway. So farewell for now. And until we talk again, let's make sure that the core of who we are and what we do holds the future of our grandchildren's grandchildren in mind.